Amen. That was great worship and good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Um, I'm excited because it's the start of what we call a pretty special week, right? Thanksgiving is, as you all know, coming on Thursday. It'll be here pretty quick. And uh, Thanksgiving kicks off what we call the holiday season, right? Um, Or as I kind of call it in my house, feast season. It's from uh, Thanksgiving all the way to uh, Super Bowl Sunday, where we have some of the greatest feasts lined up that we get to have all year long. As a matter of fact, they say out of all holidays, the one we consume the most calories in is actually Thanksgiving, followed by the Super Bowl. Um, And um, I don't know, there's a switch that flips in me, probably like many of you, where um, I find myself consuming more calories in one sitting than I can the entire year when it comes to Thanksgiving, right? It's, it's food that I don't normally care about and for 10 and a half months don't even think about. Uh, dried out turkey, um, breaded stuffing, uh, gravy, mashed potatoes. I mean, all that stuff, uh, you know, what, green bean casserole, all that stuff I could, it's never in my mind all year long, but somehow on Thursday night when I sit down to eat, it's going to be the most intoxicating enticing meal in the world. And um, they say on average, on the, on the upper end of our average, we take in about 4,500 calories uh, in our Thanksgiving meals. Yeah, that's, that's if, you want, if you want kind of a, a visual comparison, you could go out to the bake sale for the kids out there and buy 24 of those Krispy Kreme donuts and sit down and eat all of those in one sitting, and that equates to your meal. Or nine Big Macs in one sitting. That's about 4,500 calories. Right, but there, there's something that kind of happens during the, what we call the holiday season. It's kind of like we give ourselves um, license to have less self-control. It's a time of the year that is difficult, whether it's with food um, or maybe you're someone, it's, it's difficult to control ourselves, you know, when it comes to all the stresses and the, maybe you're someone who's in charge of cooking or cleaning and getting everything ready and hosting, you know the difficulties that come with that where you're spending all this time slaving over a meal, wondering if who's going to show up on time, if they're going to make it, if these guys are going to flake out or not, and you tend to have a hard time controlling your, your attitude, your emotions during this time, right? Maybe you're that person who you like to think of yourself as pretty reserved, but then you sit down at that Thanksgiving dinner table and you bring up all kinds of topics, right? You've got to get into all the controversial things. And you find yourself, whether you're them or the other person, just all of a sudden out of control, debating, yelling, arguing with each other. Or maybe you're the person or you know that person in your household who's, who's got to have the drink and they take it over the line. And they've got to drink until they can numb themselves to get through the holidays. And like, like they did last year, they find themselves embarrassing themselves again. Right? And, and, and it becomes kind of an exercise in control when we get to this time of the year. Right? And, and beyond this, in, in some way, we're already struggling as humans. To be human is to already struggle to control ourselves. It's one of the greatest things we face every single day. Be it our tempers, our desires, our lusts, whether it's drugs or wealth or, or just stuff. I mean... We love consuming stuff. Look at, of all the days, you want a real glimpse of humanity, look at of all the days we could have picked to, to pick our, our biggest spending and shopping day of the year. When do we pick it? The day after Thanksgiving. No sooner are we done saying thank you to God for all the things he's done in our lives than are we getting our phones blown up with emails from people having sales and people going out. And you've seen the chaos when people go out on Black Friday uh, and go shopping and Another, another kind of sad statistic I came across that, that really kind of bummed me out is out of all holidays, and I'm not, I'm not knocking, it didn't just happen to, to, to land that we were teaching through self-control on this, uh, this weekend. I'm not knocking Thanksgiving, but, uh, 
out of all the holidays, you know the most dangerous holiday out there? Thanksgiving. They say more people will die due to drunk driving or be uh, injured during to, due to accidents from drunk driving more than any other holiday on Thanksgiving. And it kind of brings out a sad reality of life. There are a lot of things in life that are good for us. There are a lot of things in life that are pleasurable, that are meant to be enjoyed by people, but when we lose self-control, man, they turn into something really destructive and bad. There is this old quote, and I love it. It's from C.S. Lewis in his book, if you've read The Screwtape Letters. He writes this book, and it's a really cool creative book, where uh, one older demon is encouraging and, and writing letters to a younger demon whose job is to tempt a man and to get him off track in life. And this older demon named Wormwood writes to young Screwtape, and he says this to him. He says, all we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy, God, has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. It's so true, right? One of the greatest temptations, one of the greatest tactics and maneuvers of the enemy is to get us to take the good in this world and to take it out of control. And it brings us kind of to our final fruit, as I mentioned, that we've been going through. Every month we've been looking through, um, this will be the ninth fruit, so for the last nine months we've been traveling through a passage over in Galatians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul has been bringing up the things, the fruits that God wants to develop in and through us by his spirit. It's a, it's a long list of fruits, nine things. Um, and we've looked at the first eight of the nine over the last few months. And now we've come to this last fruit, but certainly not the least. And I didn't plan it this way, just so you know. We just thought we would start with love on, thanks, or on, uh, on Valentine's Day. And it just so happened that we ended up with self-control on Thanksgiving. Um, But the last fruit of the Spirit, Paul says over in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, is the fruit of self-control. Self-control, listed last in this list, it's probably listed as the, the end of the list because it's the fruit or the characteristic or trait that kind of helps support or prop up or give a backbone to the development of all the other fruits that God wants to have in our life. Paul has started this list in in verse 22 by saying the fruit of the Spirit is love. And he says that singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love. This is the singular thing that God wants to work out in and through each and every one of us. And we went through that. And then the rest, the other eight fruits, are kind of developments of that or pictures or different angles of that fruit. And he says, um, as we went through there and, and we looked at joy. Having joy, the joy of the Lord from Nehemiah chapter 8. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Um, The base from which we operate. The happiness of our lives to which we deal with the problems and the things we face. Um, We looked at the second fruit, peace. To rest in God's peace as we begin to maneuver and, and work our way through the problems of this life. We looked at patience. To treat others with patience when they aren't doing things necessarily the right way or the way we think they should be doing things. Um, We looked at kindness as the behavior or the attitude of of how we express love towards others. We looked at goodness at the core of who we are as we live our lives with our eyes focused on Jesus, reflecting his character and nature in this dark and dying world. We looked at faithfulness in the life of Joseph as we looked at how faithful Joseph and steadfast Joseph was even when he didn't understand or know what was going on. And last month we looked at gentleness, right? We looked at gentleness and the aspect of wisdom to it and how we treat others. And you could see kind of how all that develops or shows or reflects love. And then we come to self-control, which as I mentioned is, 
is the thing to which makes all the other things possible. Without self-control, the Holy Spirit, if you would, has no footing to which he's going to develop or produce all these other things in us that God wants to do. And when Paul lists this word in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, for self-control, it's the word that comes from the word, the idea of strength. The word kratos in the Greek, it's this word, and literally, the word means, when we say self-control, it means, as he was saying it, in strength. It's this idea that things aren't out of control, out of your hands, they're in your strength. You're able to grip on and hold on to something. I, like, uh, I think of this, and I think of the first time I ever took my son to fly a kite. Um, Connor, he was about, I don't know, three or four at the time, real young. And he had seen people, we lived down in Capo Beach, he had seen people flying kites down at the beach, and he'd always gone, I want to fly a kite, I want to fly a kite. And I was like, okay, cool, it's you know, one of those childhood things you have to do with your kid. And so I went and I bought him like the biggest like dragon kite, I remember it was a giant dragon kite on, on Amazon I could find, the biggest thing, it had like multiple layers, he was scared of it, it was like, it was a crazy kite. It was wild. I mean, and, and, and I didn't really think like, hey, he's like three, four. He could barely walk and you're about to hand him a kite. And so we headed down to the beach one day. It was a windy day. And, um, and my wife was at work that day. So it was just me and, and my daughter. She was still really young. And, and so I, I bring the kite up and I'm flying it and this thing's tugging all over the place. And I'm looking at my son. I'm like, how am I going to do this? How is he going to fly this thing? And he's like, dad, dad, I want to fly the kite. I want to fly the kite. And I knew it wasn't a good idea, but I'm like, okay, how? I, so I, I wrap the string around his hands a few times, so if he lets go of it, it's still like, it's not going to fly off, which wasn't a good idea. But, um, and then I, I go, I hand it to him, I'm holding it with him, I go, Connor, you can't let go of this. He's like, I'm not going to let go. And as soon as I let go of this thing, it was like, immediately, he just flew into the air. And like, this kite was like, it must have been the funniest thing if you were like a jogger or someone walking by. This dad just handing over this kite and his kid just dragging down the sand, like moving back and forth. And, and it, was, it was so embarrassing. I'm trying to grab him. He's still holding on. Like, luckily, his hands aren't being like torn off um, because I made the stupid choice of tying this up. But, but he's holding on to this thing and I'm just seeing his legs move and his arms twist and and, and, and I bring that up because that's kind of what I picture when, when, when it comes to the idea of self-control. Being out of your strength is kind of that idea, right? And that's kind of the picture that Paul has is like, look, there's this part of life. And it can drag you. And it can rip you. And it can tear you about. Self-control is kind of where you bring it all down and you're able to hold on. You're able to keep it together. And, and in, in context here... Paul's kind of talking about our lives apart from the work of God. You see, over in Galatians chapter 5, he, he lists, we have this list of fruits of the Spirit, but right before then, he gives us of what we call the list of fruits of the flesh. This list of what we really are, what we're really fighting against in life. Let me read it to you real quick here. If you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says this, I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Paul goes, look, you have to understand this. You have to get this. This is basic. This is elemental. There are two sides of us. There are two parts of us. You don't just accept Jesus as a Christian and suddenly the flesh goes away and now you're this new creature who, who has no problems, who has no, none of the old self, none of the old you there. You're just all of a sudden born and almost this heavenly person. No, 
You're born and you have this spirit side of you. God's spirit is literally indwelling each and every one of us. He's there with us. But at the same time, you have to know, you have to understand, you have to acknowledge that we all have what is called the flesh. This part of us that's fallen. This part of us that naturally wants the opposite of what God wants. It naturally wants to do the wrong. It naturally, naturally wants to seek after our own desires, our own lusts. Look at the fruits of the flesh now he brings up in verse, uh, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Paul goes, look, look, you need to have a realistic understanding of ourselves here. It's not just enough to just go, you know what, I'm a good person now. I'm essentially all good now that I know God. He goes, no, 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 understand that that flesh, that part of you that's fallen, that's broken, it's still there. This is us, he would say. This is the part of us that's, that's warring against what God wants for us. And I think all too often as Christians, we get comfortable with it, we make excuses for it. But Paul says, look, no, understand that there is a very real part of us. He calls it our flesh. Later on, he'll call it our natural man. There are a part of us that's broken. This list, if I can't see myself in this list, then man, I'm missing it. I'm never going to understand my true need for a savior. And all of us in here have to understand. We have to come to terms. We have to come to grips with this. Look, that's me. That's me, this list. Sadly, that's a part of me. And if we can't do that, then we don't understand our true need, our true hope, our true, our true the glory of the Messiah that's come for us, that, that we celebrate at Christmas when he, he came to become one of us, to take upon ourself this, this flesh that we have to live a perfect life and then to exchange that perfect life for ours on the cross, to die for us, to say, I forgive you of that. It's what makes the list of the fruits of the Spirit so beautiful in the end. Because understanding that, man, I have this real part of me. There's a real reason why I lash out at people. There's a real reason why I have a short temper. There's a real reason why I feel, you know, inclined to cut this corner, to cheat there, or to do this, or to do that. There's a real reason for that, because I have the flesh in me. But he says, you also have the Spirit. And the flesh is warring against the Spirit. And you also have the Spirit dwelling within you. And the Spirit is there, as he now says, the Spirit is there to produce something in you that the flesh will never produce. Your real purpose in life. That's why it's so sweet when he says the fruit of the Spirit. If you'll find yourself following after the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And this is why it's so important. Self-control. You see why that's there in this list? It's like there is this natural part of us that wants to do the opposite of all these things, that wants to seek after ourself first. And he goes, no, 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 the Spirit is there because he knows that. And the final thing in this list to make sure everything else happens is self-control. 
It makes it so vital. So the real question as I look at it and I look at these pleasures I have and these desires that might go wrong, the real question is, well, well, where do I get things in strength? How? How does the Spirit want me to do this? For this, just flip real quickly to the left over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to look at a short passage real quick this morning where the Apostle Paul kind of shares his secret to control. The book of 1 Corinthians is a really, really rich and exciting book. I love it. It's written to a church. It's fun to read about this church, man. They're out of control. It's written to a church that's out of control. Paul just starts the whole book with going like, hey, look, I hear there's some of you that say, I'm of this preacher, I'm of that guy over there, I'm of Apollo, so I'm of Peter. He's like, man, you guys don't even get it. He's like, we're all one under Jesus. All right, and then he goes on to, to address people who are bragging about an incestuous uh, relationship. It's like there's all kinds of adultery going on. Then he gets to these people who are showing up drunk to their, commun- their communion feast. It's like they've got spiritual gifts out of control. And so Paul kind of writes this letter to help them to gain control in the church and of themselves personally. And right smack kind of in what's, what's about the core, the center, the heart of this message, he gets to what... Um, his calling is as an apostle. And Paul begins to kind of share how he's given up some of his rights as an apostle apostle, so that he could go on to fulfill what he's truly called to do. And in, in verse 23, he says, I've been called to become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. He's like, this is me. I am doing whatever it takes in whatever way possible so that I might fulfill my calling to reach everyone with the gospel. Or just some, whoever. That's my calling. And then he switches gears in verse 24. He says, look, you need to understand my mentality if you're going to live up to your calling. Read real quick with me, 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Such a deep passage. You get really a glimpse into Paul's mindset here, and I love it. But he starts with this. He goes, look, understand this. I'm not out here just existing. I'm not out here just getting by doing what's best for me. I'm not out here just focused on me and my goals and my... No, he goes, no, look, I I have a purpose. I have a calling. And I run after that calling like a runner. And I love this. Paul, this little Jewish guy, born a Jew, has this great affiliation and and affection for, for Greek sports culture. He's always using the Greeks as as an example and their athletes as an example. And in this case, um, he uses a runner. And he goes, you guys know the runners. In their day, they would understand. They had these different games and they would come into Corinth there and they had this particular track in that area and they they would all file in there and they'd watch these different games unfold. And one of the great highlights of it, it's kind of like the Monday night football where everybody gathered around and filed in and watched this thing. One of the greatest highlights was watching these runners compete. 
And these runners, they would come into the arena, he would say, and you'd see, they could picture it there. They would come into the arena, they'd all stretch, they'd been training for months and months and months, and they lived separate from their families at different times for this. And here they come, and, and, and can you picture this? They all come into this arena, the, the, you know, well, they don't have the track gun or whatever it is, I don't know what they had, maybe a horn or trumpet or something blows off. And then they start running, but they all run in different directions. And some of them just, you know, they look at others and they go, no, you win. You know, it's like, no, that wouldn't be a competition. Nobody would show up for that. He goes, look, when you compete, you compete to win. Nobody shows up to compete to just, to just tie, like soccer. You know, it's like, I, I, it's like I'm, I'm a huge soccer fan, and it's one of the worst things about the sport, right? As we start right now, the World Cup, or as we talk right now, the World Cup is going on, and it's just started for a month. Teams from all over the country, all over the world, um, are filing into Qatar, and they're going to compete for the World Cup, the prize in soccer above all prizes. And there's not one single team that's going to show up there, and they're going to look at each other and go, you know what? You have prettier uniforms than ours. Like, why don't you guys score? Go ahead. You know, or like, hey, you guys, you guys have had a tough year over here in, you know, whatever country you're from, and, and we're more advanced than you. Why don't you guys win today? Right? Can you imagine? Nobody would watch that. It's wimpiness at its finest. He goes, look, in any sport, any athletics, the goal is, the goal is to win. And he's bringing that out because he goes, look, for us, understand this. For us, your goal in your life is not just to get by at what God has called you to. Your goal in your life should not just be to exist. Should not just be to just kind of make it. Right? It's, it's, it's more than that. God has never created a human being that he intended to just collect dust. All of us were created with purpose, with intention, with a goal and a calling for you in your life. If you don't understand that, if you're just kind of drifting through life, consuming for yourself, then you're going to find yourself out of control. You're never going to find yourself living up to what God has for you, right? He says in verse 25, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. I love that idea. Temperate, by the way, it's the same, it comes from the same root word as self-control. You can mark that. You can go, everyone competing has self-control. They're taking their strength and they're learning to focus it, to hone in towards their goal. Right? Paul would say, look, and you can think of all the people. What happens without self-control is people get, well, they get disqualified. Athletes aren't going to make it. He goes, think of all the things, or, or, or we could think of it. Think of all the ways and in things that you see people, well, kind of disqualified from the things that they know they should be doing in life. You can think of the parent who spent too much time working and wasn't there for their kids at all. And as their kids grow up, they don't want anything to do with them. You could think of the spouse who had bad expectations for their husband or their wife or something and expected things out of them that they could never produce or do, and therefore, because of that, they're under this pressure. The marriage falls apart. They're disqualified. You could think of ministers. I was just reading about another one who were disqualified from ministry because they couldn't control their lusts and had an adulterous relationship. You could think of people fired from work because they were lazy, because they didn't work hard, because they, they talked back, they didn't have respect, right? There are tons of things that we could be doing in life if we're not focused on the goal that are going to disqualify us. And Paul says, look, look, if you're going to run the right way, you've got to know the goal and you've got to have self-control. Self-control means we're, we're willing to cut out the junk. We're willing to just focus on that goal. 
to live up to the call that God has placed on our lives. It means that we can't be who God wants us to be if we're out of control. Right? If I'm being dragged down the street by my emotions or my anger or my lusts, if my ambition or my fears or my annoyance, anything in the flesh is causing me to lose sight of that goal, then I'm going to lose sight of what I was meant to do. Right? You see, if you take a moment just to think of what you're meant to do in life, if you take a moment, you realize, man, God has called us to do some pretty incredible things. Just within this room right here or out on the patio or online at home, we are a church body. And just down the line in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, look, every single one of us was given a spiritual gift, something that the Holy Spirit has put inside us that he wants to develop that we might minister to one another, that we might encourage and energize one another, some of us, right? Some of us are meant to be teachers. Some of us are administrators. Some of us have the gift of helping and, and serving. Some of us have the gift of faith or of giving, right? But just in this room, every single one of you has a gift, something that you're supposed to be using amongst the body of Christ to, to, to make things better. And that's just one area and one thing you've been called to do. But I mean, just take it on a personal, personal level. Personally, we all have different roles, some of us in here, we've got husbands, we've got wives, we've got sons, daughters, we're grandparents. Some of us, brothers, sisters, neighbors, we're workers, we're managers, we're employees, whatever it is. We've got roles and relationships all around us. And God says, look, I didn't put you there and I didn't put you in those things so that you could just get by. I put you there to make something beautiful out of them. I put you there with a purpose to fulfill them faithfully. And he would say, look, you can't do that if you don't have self-control. But, but let's just kind of like narrow it down, our goals or our roles, all the way down to this. This one thing that to me encapsulates everything. When they came to Jesus over in Matthew chapter 22 and they asked him what the greatest commandment, what is the one thing we're supposed to be focused on out of all this Old Testament? What is it? What did Jesus say to him? He said to the Pharisees, the greatest commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love your neighbor. If that is your goal in life, you're going to fulfill all the other goals really well. You're going to be a great husband, you're going to be a great wife, you're going to be a great son or daughter or neighbor or friend or coworker, whatever, whatever it is. If you can focus on those two things, loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself, look, if you can boil it down to that, that is our goal and calling in life. As a matter of fact, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. He goes, understand this, get this. This is the call or the goal of our life to be a loving human being. Loving God and loving people around us. This is what you should have your eyes on. This is what your goal should be. So focus on that. Like an athlete, this is your goal. This is what you're driving towards. Don't let your life meander without that purpose or that meaning. Don't think that one, for one moment you weren't meant to brighten someone else's life or to season this world around you. Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. If you lose sight of that goal, if you don't have that self-control, it's never going to happen. Especially if your eyes are on the wrong thing. If you're losing control in your life, I, I kind of, this popped up for me while we were on vacation not too long ago. 
back in September, my wife and I, and we took our kids to Hawaii for their first time. It was really cool. We've been to Hawaii before, but like it's really fun to take your kids and for their first time. And it was like one of the final days of our trip in, in Hawaii. We were on Oahu, and we had this day, I call it Shark Day. Um, we took them out, out of Haleiwa um, on the North Shore. We took them out, and we, we went out, and we went into a shark cage, and we took the kids into the shark cage, and they got to go in, and tiger sharks, and, and all these cool things. And so they were thrilled. So we were having a great day. And then we were going over this place on the North Shore called Shark's Cove. And there's no actual sharks there. There's just, you know, a cove. And it's got a reef, but they call it Shark's Cove. And I thought, oh, it'd be fun. Shark day, Shark Cove. And so we went to pull up to Shark Cove to go swim and to go snorkeling and do that whole thing. But the parking lot was just packed. I mean, for, like, people are in line forever. And so we got into line. And we waited for like 45 minutes and we're slowly moving. And, and, and we'd just been waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, a spot opened up. And I passed this car on the right side that was letting a bunch of people out. It pulled over. It was letting a bunch of people out to go down to the water. And I pass this car as I'm in line. And I go and I find the spot. And I parallel park and pull in. And no sooner than I was about to turn off the car than the car that I had just passed pulls up next to me. And it's this big old lifted Jeep. And I'm in this dinky little dorky minivan, you know, um, and, and, and I look over at this guy and he's like starts honking and screaming at me. And he's just like, you took my spot. And he's screaming. And I, I like rolled down my window and I'm like, dude, I, I was in line for like 45 minutes. He goes, I don't care. And he's just yelling and screaming at me. He's like, I was just pulling over to let my family out. You don't. And I'm like, dude, you can't, you can't get out of line, you know, and then expect the next spot to be yours. This is my spot. You know, and so I rolled up my window and just ignored him. You know, I just turned to my family, pretended like I was talking. And he's just fuming and furious and he takes off. But then I hear him takes off in this, in this Jeep, and, and then he throws it into reverse. And I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. He throws it into reverse, and he just pulls back, and he pulls back up next to us, and this time he's just irate. He was like a nine before, now he's a 12. And he's just screaming, and he's cussing at me and my wife, and he's cussing. The kids are in the back seat, you know, and he's like yelling and calling us names and expletives, and I'm going to kill. And so at this point, like I did what most guys do, you begin to kind of size them up, Right? And I begin to look at him, and I'm like, I'm a pretty tall guy, you know, 6'2". Like, I, I'm, I, like, you're a little dude in a big Jeep, right? I get it. Like, you, just because you're in the big car doesn't... I, I'm in the minivan, you know? Like I, like, I get what you think is going on, but if I stood up right now, I could take you out, unless you're some Navy SEAL or something. Like, and so I'm, you know, guys, how we do it, right? Like, and even girls do that nowadays, like, right? You're, you're just, like, sizing people up. And, and so I'm like, all right, here we go. Here we go. Like, I'm not going to let this. This is my spot. I'm not going to let the spot go. And this guy's just, you know, beep, beep. And then the Holy Spirit, you know, it's like, <laughs> Holy Spirit. It's, like, I, I just, out of nowhere, I had this check because it's like, my knuckles are white. Like, I'm ready to like, I'm, I'm you know, popping the neck. Like, I'm ready to jump out. And, and I looked over at my wife, who's like, looked like she's seen a ghost. She's like, what is going on? I don't even understand. I look back at my daughter, and she's got tears in her eyes. She's like scared, you know, and my son's kind of just, oh, what's dad going to do? You know, like, and, and I had to, like, I, like, I had to decide, you know, and I, this is totally how the Holy Spirit works with self-control. Like, is that the goal? Is this parking spot the goal? Right? Do, do I, is it worth it to, to be the guy on the news, you know, like who, who lost in a fight to a Navy SEAL, you know, over here? I didn't know he was bigger than I, smaller than I thought. Like, is it worth it for this parking spot for me to ruin my family's day? We've had a wonderful day. Like, I know the spot belongs to me. It's mine. 
But this guy's over here and he's just furious. And so, you know, I roll down the window and I'm like, all right, man, if you're going to be a big baby, I at least got that in. I know it wasn't the best. I'm like, if you're going to be a big baby, the spot's all yours. And I was in strength. I was in control. But man, I was like, those hands were shaking. And you've all been there, right? You know the person that's driven you to the edge. And I drove out of that parking spot. And I'm like, oh, great. Well, this, spot, this, this thing's done. And lo and behold, there was another parking lot right next door. that had a nice spot under the shady tree. And so we parked there and got out. But like, you know that feeling, right? Where you're ready to just lose control. You're ready to just let it go. And, and we've all been there and we all know the people that can do that to us and we all know the situations that drive us to that edge. And, and the Holy Spirit's saying, no, look, look. To turn the other cheek is better. To let go of a parking spot. To let go of whatever right you're owed. To let go of whatever privilege you think belongs to you. In the end is going to be more of what brings out who you were meant to be than if you held on to it, if you fought for it. Now, Jerry said last week, or after last service, he called me a wuss. He said, you should have just fought, but under control, you know, like, and so fight with control. But, uh, but no, I get it. I get it. And I was like, oh, man, this is hard. But that's how self-control is, right? It wasn't meant to be easy. There's a side of us that wants to just lash out. There's this side of us that wants what it wants, The flesh is there within each and every one of us. What Paul says is, look, you're going to have to work at this. He says, I discipline my body. I put limits on my body. I I hold on to things. I, I, I I don't just let my body go out of control because, look, there's something in the end that I'm driving towards that's more important. For me, to be a loving dad is more important than to be the guy who was right and got his parking spot. And was macho and tough, right? I get it. For me, to have a good day in the end was better for my family and the goal that I have. And for me to turn the other cheek and to let this guy have the parking spot in the end was better too. That's kind of the idea of self-control. Paul says, look, these guys are all doing things. They're all striving. These racers are running for a a crown that perishes, right? For in their day those athletes would run and they've actually uncovered like these olive wreaths that they would put um, out of olive branches around their neck. Or they actually have one historian records that some of the, the winners of the games would win crowns. And one of the crowns they gave away in Corinth was a crown of celery, right? Around these guys, turkey garnish for us, right? Like around these guys' heads, they were proud without their standing there with their olive wreaths on, you know, the ones we put on our doors. Just go put one on, you know, a, a Christmas time and you'll be a, a Roman winner, you know, or, or a celery wreath around your head. And, and, and even some of them got plaques that they would take back to their hometowns and they'd put up these plaques. Where are the plaques now? Nowhere. You know, where's the gold medals now? They mean nothing. Because they all perish in the end. The same with that parking spot. The same with all the things that we stress about and we fight for so often. They're all going to, in the end, end up in the ground. They're all going away. And he says, look, fight for something. Strive for something that's going to last a lot longer. Your character, your legacy of love, that's going to last a lot longer. That's going to carry on with you for all eternity. The impact that you make in this world because of the love of Jesus Christ in your heart and your life is going to affect more people than any of these other selfish, fleshly goals or ambitions we could ever have. 
So Paul says, take it down a notch. Get yourself under control, right? On Thursday is Thanksgiving. And I'm not here to bash Thanksgiving, but guess what? The goal of Thanksgiving is not to feast like no other time before. The goal of Thanksgiving is not football. It's not making an appearance with your family. It's not numbing yourself with alcohol to just get through the day. The goal of Thanksgiving, and this is awesome. We as Christians should be better at this than anyone else. The goal of Thanksgiving lines up exactly with what God wants us to be. The goal of Thanksgiving is just being thankful. Taking some time out together as a family, with friends, with whoever you have, to be thankful for what God has done in your life. To be thankful for the blessings of the past, the blessings of the present, and what you know God's going to do in the future. Thankfulness. This is something that Christians, like I said, should be, we should shine above all others at this. But here's the catch. If you're not disciplined, if you're going into Thanksgiving to consume everything for yourself, if Thanksgiving is all about you and your perfect feast and your perfect whatever it is, having everything perfect there because of your sake, then in the end, even if it goes perfectly, the perfect turkey, man, that's perishing. The perfect meal, well, you're going to want another one next year. The perfect this, that, or the other, man, those things are all going to, in the end, end up in the ground. Paul says focus. Keep your eye on the real goal for life. And you're going to find yourself enjoying things a whole lot more because they're not out of control. They're not becoming destructive. They're becoming instruments to which you guys are are reflecting and showing God's love. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so very much that when we look at this list of the fruits of the flesh and we all see glimpses of ourselves there, we know that you just didn't leave it at that. You sent your son Jesus to die for us, to take upon us humanity, to take upon himself humanity that he might be one of us, that he might exchange his life for ours on the cross that we might have the hope of something better. That we might know that your spirit is working within every single one of us for a greater purpose in our lives, which is love. So help us to be this week as we, as we celebrate with others on Thanksgiving, as we go about our work week, as whatever it is you've called us to do, help us to be people who are of love, focused on that goal, focused on fulfilling and completing that in our lives, not on all the other stresses and little things that come along. God, we thank you that your spirit is working in every single one of us. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.